for some reason, my notes app has just crashed. So that's great. Too much information. That's how prim and proper he was. <laughs> you can't be using technology. Where's your quill pen and scroll? Welcome, fellow sleuths, to Meddling Adults, a game show where we grab our liverwurst sandwiches and go head-to-head to test our wits against the prowess of fictional young detectives for charity. I am your host, Mike Schubert, and I'm notoriously bad at solving children's mysteries, which is why I'm safely behind the judges' table letting others duke it out instead. Our contestants this week are Hal Lublin and Gabrielle Urbina. Today's mysteries are from Scooby-Doo. Hal will be playing for the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, and Gabrielle will be playing for the Black Movement Law Project. So without further ado, let's put the pedal to the metal and meet our contestants, Hal and Gabrielle. How's it going? Hi. Hey, Mike. Thank you so much for having us here. Yeah. He speaks on behalf of both of us. The pleasure <laughs> is all mine. I feel like I was spoken on behalf of. Like, you said it, You said we're happy to be here, mm-hmm. which is true. And I felt no pressure, <laughs> which is the last time that'll happen over the course of this episode. I'm already very nervous. Oh, no. Real talk. I am genuinely terrified about how this show is going to... Uh-huh. Just shine a light deeply into my lack of analytical skills. I listened to two of the previous episodes in preparation, and I scored a nothing (laughs) in terms of correctly (laughs) guessing the mysteries. Well, So I'm ready to come in here and fail big with just like (laughs) wide, wide swings. Well, look, I don't want to be too competitive, (laughs) but I got nervous when we were trying to sync up our recordings. I was immediately like, oh, I'm a little behind. And it's the same nervousness I get when I go to to get my eye exam. Mm. And I'm like, this is the time I have glaucoma. I better press this button every time did it happen was there's a floater in my eye what like instant anxiety (laughs) and now here i am oh well now that you're all incredibly (laughs) stressed let's ramp up that stress even more by going head-to-head in competition before we go into it though do either of you have any experience with scooby-doo specifically or children's novels tv shows of the mystery variety of any sort i mean when i was a kid i remember watching reruns of the old hanna-barbera cartoon Mm mm-hmm could I tell you the plot of any single one of them? No. <laughs> They're pretty similar to one another. Yeah, I watched Scooby-Doo and then Scooby and Scrappy-Doo, I think, were in my childhood. Oh, yeah. I, I read a lot of Encyclopedia Brown. Okay. And then another great detective series, which was Cam Jansen, who was a young girl. I don't, have you read Cam? Are you into Cam Jansen? I have not heard of it, but I am now oh. in the business of children's mysteries. So I'm taking Look. any suggestion that I can. She has a photographic memory. She looks at like a like the oh, crime scene. Someone and has told me about her. Yeah, yeah. And she says, "Click," and closes her eyes, and then she remembers everything. <laughs> oh my god, that's so cool! And I want the adult version of that series where that skill has come to haunt her as an adult because <sighs> she can't. Like she was cheated on by her significant other, <gasps> and she like clicked right. at an instinct because it felt like a crime scene. Oh my god! And now she's in therapy to have that removed. Oh my god! That's my. She pitch. can't unsee it. Yeah. I think as we do all these episodes, I realize that everyone just wants a where are they now written for adults mm-hmm. version of all the kid detectives. And I am very much sure. here for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, because it's one of those things where if they're living that frequency and that degree of a life at an early age, like, you know, it's only going to go up. Like, what does the future right. look like? The stakes like? can only get yeah. higher. You either become the world's greatest detective or the world's greatest criminal. Because you have all the information to do either one. And at a certain point, you reach that fork in the wood 
You got it, and you have to decide, like Robert Frost, whether you're going to take the path less traveled or not. That's your choice. Isn't that how Carmen San Diego got started? <laughs> she was like a prodigy, very young, great detective, yeah. and then one day it was like, "There's no challenge in this anymore. This is boring. Yeah. I need to, in order to find thrills, turn into crime." I'm very sad that they rebooted Carmen San Diego, but I think in the new Netflix thing they turned her into a good guy, which yeah. defeats the purpose of Carmen San Diego. Right. Yeah, she was the ultimate Ugh. phantom. She's a phantom criminal. You mm-hmm. never knew what she was. She could be anywhere in the world. You always knew where she had just been. And if you're lucky, you caught her That's in like right. Jakarta or something. And then <laughs> and then Interpol put her in whatever weird space jail they run. <laughs> so now that we've talked about other series for the past five minutes, let's talk about how we're doing this episode with Scooby-Doo. So here's how the game is going to work. I will be recapping three episodes of the original Scooby-Doo Where Are You cartoon, episodes that neither of you have seen before or at least remember. I will lay out all of the clues and ask you for your accusations. Each correct guess of the culprit or their motive, or both, will earn you points, but there are also bonus points at stake. If your guess Mm. matches my incorrect guess, you will earn a Misery Loves Company bonus point, since I'm usually wrong about these. And if you do anything fun throughout the episode, you throw a good insult, you give a really wacky guess that makes me laugh, you say something incredibly funny, I'll throw some bonus points. So ham it up. Who's to say? Everything's pretend. So uh, (laughs) I am banking on those bonus points. I am going for a full bonus point strategy here. Yeah, I'm cash apping you right now. <laughs> I will redirect that directly to charity. So at the end of these three rounds, if it ties in place, we will break the tie in the only fitting way with a sudden death riddle. But we'll see if it even comes to that. But now that everything has been laid out and the rules are set, let's dive into our very first mystery, which is go away ghost ship. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> The Scooby-Doo titles are great because there is no, like, strict structure to them. Sometimes they rhyme. Sometimes it's Scooby-Doo and the blank. Other times it's all alliteration. There's really no set method to it, and it really makes me laugh. Because this one is just, go away, ghost ship. That that speaks to the jadedness of whoever is meeting this ghost ship. Mm-hmm. That they're seeing a ghost ship, and their reaction is just, oh... You know what? I can't do this right now. Please go away. <laughs> Honestly, it does sound like something that would happen in 2020 just because things pile on. Even when they're saying <laughs> things like, oh, the cicadas, after 17 years, everyone's like, can we just, can we can just we not? not for a little bit? Yeah. Oh, murder hornets. Go, come back next year. Earth is closed. <laughs> <laughs> this title feels like it was written at 4.59 when it was due at 5 p.m. Yeah, and right. they're like, we got to get it. It's Friday. We got to get out of here. They want to title. Go away, ghost ship. All right, I'm out of here. Okay, cool. Go and ghost sound similar-ish, I guess. Mm-hmm. Cool. We're done. <laughs> so. And this episode begins with just some guy on a boat looking through binoculars and fog dissipates. And we see the ghost of Redbeard the pirate on a tattered pirate ship through the fog. All right. Mm -hmm. The gang, of course, is in their favorite location, which is, as we've established in earlier episodes of Meddling Adults, it is the malt shop, but the proper way to pronounce it is like Love Shack and the B-52. So the gang is at the malt (laughs) shop doing what they do, uh, eating sandwiches and reading the newspaper, because I guess that's what you do in the 70s. (laughs) Yeah, that's all teenagers. I mean, look, I grew up in the 80s and 90s, and I know... In high school, we couldn't wait until school was over so we could go to the local Bennigan's and crack open that Philadelphia Inquirer to see what was going on just in the opinion <laughs> section. What do people think about the, thing is, about the new st- statues going up in Love Park? 
The thing is, I can't tell, I can't tell if you're joking or not. <laughs> There's no way. With me, it would, I, I would it would assume seem, not. Yeah. Look, I didn't have any dates. I was happy to read the newspaper. I was only reading the <laughs> comics and doing the word jumble, which made me feel very smart because it was for dummies, <laughs> and I would complete it most of the time. That sounds like a newspaper optimized. That sounds like you're skipping straight to the best yeah. parts. Yeah, I wanted to seem smart, like, oh, that's interesting. I'm totally reading Funky Winker Bean right now. <laughs> no one can know my Funky shame. Funky Winker Bean. That's fantastic. So they are reading the newspaper, and in the newspaper, it says that the Coast Guard has reported freighters being robbed repeatedly. Mm. And one of the freight line owners, C.L. Magnus, says that it is the ghost of Redbeard the pirate. So the gang decides that they are going to go and investigate by going to Mr. Magnus's house, mm -hmm. which I guess they just looked it up in the yellow pages or something. Mm -hmm. But they just drive there. They go to this. Quick, quick, quick. Oh, yes. Just I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm stunned for a moment here. Just what is this owner's <laughs> name? C.L. Magnus? C. L. Magnus. You know, I sort of feel that like that kid at age four was already being groomed to be a CEO. Like yeah. his parents <laughs> just like they gave him that name and they put him on a track. He's either going to be a CEO or he's going to be the author of a fantasy series. Why do fantasy authors always go by initials of their first name? J.R.R.L. J.R.R.L. J.K.R.L. Nope, she doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> J I don't know. Look, I've never. Is it? There's, there's no uh, L, right? J.R.R.L. L.M.A.O. Johnson. George. Was it George R.R. R. Martin? Yes, yeah. Who's who wrote the Wizard Wizard of Oz? L. Frank uh, Baum. Baum? L. Frank Baum, yeah. yeah. I don't get it. Look. What, why, why is everyone afraid of their first name? It's a lot cooler. It's mystery. Then you're like an idea. Ah. And I, only an idea would have initials for a name. A person has a full name. But I'm L. Frank But What does the <laughs> L stand for? Mystery. <laughs> so they go to C.L. Magnus's apartment building. They find out that he lives on the penthouse. And then they just get in the elevator. Of course. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait a second. What's that? You do not need to specify that C.L. Magnus lives in the penthouse. Where else would that man live? Yeah. They go to visit him. He's in his efficiency right by the laundry room. <laughs> so they just go up the elevator because I guess this is the 70s. And his butler, of course, answers the door. So the butler does not want to let them in because Mr. Magnus, quote, is not to be disturbed. I will say the butler is giving off big creepy vibes. He's got yeah. like a permanent mm. scowl on his face where he's got one eyebrow cocked up so it looks like one of his eyes is bigger than the other. Classic red hair. So he tries to send them away. And the gang decide that they need to come up with some sort of way to sneak in. So what do they do? They disguise themselves as the breakfast service because apparently this apartment building is also a hotel. And of course, yeah, <laughs> they come through with the breakfast cart and the butler goes, breakfast at 11 p.m. And Shaggy goes, yeah. <laughs> so that way you don't have to get up to eat it in the morning. And this works. <laughs> To be fair, I am a little bit intrigued by this. I'm like, hmm. When you put it like that, that sounds like some weird startup life hack. Mm -hmm. It's just crazy enough that it might work. Uh, I am Chris Gillibo. You want to hack more hours out of your life? Have your breakfast at night, you jerk off. Then take a shower at noon. There are no rules left. I'm just saying, 
if Mr. Magnus had made his money in like the software world, nobody mm-hmm. would blink. Mm-hmm. No, like if this guy all. was a Mark Zuckerberg type, no one would bat an eye at him having breakfast at whatever time of night. <laughs> they would cite him as a visionary. <laughs> That's right. So the gang gets inside and they decide that they are going to talk to Mr. Magnus and try to help him out. He explains that his ancestors brought Redbeard the pirate to justice. And when that happened, he vowed revenge against the Magnus family. So he's attacking their freight line. So while they're talking with him, Scooby notices that the butler is eavesdropping from behind a bookcase. And when he makes eye contact with Scooby, scurries away. Yeah, so this butler is basically wearing a shirt that says, ask me about my red herringness. <laughs> yes, exactly. But as is established, every single time I do Scooby-Doo, they usually follow the formula of the first person that you meet is guilty. So uh-huh, he was right, the first right. person that we met. Okay, mm. okay. Hmm. So the gang gets into a small boat to scope out the Magnus Freighter that they are assuming will be robbed this evening. And what they do is they play freight foghorn noises on a tape recorder so that through the fog, the pirate ship will think that they're a freighter and try to attack them, I guess? Because this tape recorder has the biggest speaker in the world? (laughs) (laughs) So, of course, this plan works, and the ghost ship ship charges at them, and it breaks their boat in half, which splits up Shaggy and Scooby from the rest of the gang. But they all are going to board the ghost ship because it's the only thing that they can do. They're in the middle of the water. Can I can I throw something in here? Fred, Daphne, and Velma have a weird, like, non-fear of anything and everything. Are they flatliners? Ooh. Have we ever established that they might be, like, put it, like, kill, like taking turns dying each night you know? just to sort of feel alive? And who knows what they brought back with them? And that's why they're not afraid of some ghost ship. It could be the case. The more I watch episodes of Scooby-Doo, the less I am certain about the identity of the gang. Because Mm. as you'll see in the later mysteries we cover, they are incredibly well connected, but always still referred to as kids. Mm. So I have no idea what's going on. (laughs) I don't know if they're in high school, if they're in college, if they've graduated, if they don't even go to school. It's mind-boggling. They never explain how they know all these people, but they do know every single type of profession in the world. Some shenanigans are afoot, for sure. (laughs) Who is to say? Really, who is to say? So they all board the ghost ship, and Shaggy and Scooby, of course, immediately run into Redbeard, and a chase scene is started. (laughs) In addition to Redbeard, there are two other pirates with him. Now, when we get a look at Redbeard, he does look like he should be wearing an eye patch, in that one of his Uh eyes looks a lot smaller than the other, but he does not have an eye patch on his seemingly damaged eye. Okay, okay. So so the other three are snooping about the ghost ship. They find dry ice in a room, and then they get locked inside that room by Redbeard. So, of course, we cut back to Shaggy and Scooby, who have been tied up. Redbeard (laughs) goes to them. He says that he's going to make them walk the plank unless they prove that they're good for something so that they can join the crew. And they say, we can be chefs. So he says, okay, (laughs) make me some food. I like that this pirate's like, you know what the best use of a Great Dane would be? <laughs> to make me food. Like dogs, you know, they will certainly will not eat just anything they find on the ground, including their own turds. They've got a discerning palate, and I want them to bring some of that worldly cuisine to the me and the crew of this ghost ship. This is all happening, like... 
two in the morning, too. It right? is yeah. late at night. It is late at night. So it's <laughs> lunchtime. <laughs> now that we've already had our night breakfast. <laughs> no better time for a job audition than when you are completely unprepared at three in the morning. <laughs> so Shaggy and Scooby are convinced that Redbeard is a ghost. So what did they decide to make? They are going to make ghost pirate stew. And I know you're all asking for the recipe. So here's what they put into their pot over a fire. <laughs> Chains ashes from the stove, cobwebs, and a bar of soap. That's how you make ghost pirate stew. Honestly, I'm in. Yeah. Like, let me add it. I want to try this. I saw that on Chopped last week. <laughs> That's a pretty good recipe. <laughs> so they make that, and they try to give it to the pirate. He goes, no, you eat it first. So they eat it, and then Whoopsie. it causes them to blow and burp up a bunch of bubbles since there was a bar of soap in it. So they just blow. Wait, wait, wait. I mean, the whole, <laughs> one moment, one moment. The the soap is what gets That's them, it. not like the nope. chains yeah. and the other shit nope. that they put in there? They're not shitting chains all night? No, they are not. Somehow they eat it all and then they start blowing bubbles. They blow enough <laughs> bubbles to escape from Redbeard. So they get away and hide down a hallway, but the other two pirates chase after them. So what Shaggy does is he finds a piece of paper he folds it into a pirate's hat, and then he does an imitation of Redbeard. And this is the funniest part of, I think, any Scooby-Doo episode, is he goes, oh, let me just do my great Redbeard the pirate impersonation. And then rather than it be Shaggy, it's just the voice actor that plays Redbeard doing the maniacal laugh that he's been doing all episode. Nice. And it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> it's so good. So because he has this hat and he does the laugh, the two pirates see down the hallway that it's Redbeard, so they stop chasing after Shaggy and Scooby because they're like, oh, Redbeard got a hold of them. So they turn around. Honestly, legitimately clutch move mm -hmm, them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then the ghost ship does what it could only do, and it docks itself inside of a skull-shaped cave. Sure. <laughs> that would be probably a good place gotta, to start gotta looking. Gotta do it. <laughs> yeah. So at this point, Redbeard captures the other three members of the gang, and he gets them off of the ship, and they're inside of this cave. Now, it's not very bright because he has them locked up, but they're just out in the cave, and there's a table that has the keys on it, and he just leaves, and it's kind of far away from them. But thankfully, Fred has a bunch of drinking straws in his pocket. So like the MacGyver that he is, he puts them all together and then puts a piece of gum yeah. at the end of it and brings the keys over and unlocks their chains. I mean, to be fair, Mike, what do you do at the malt shop? You have a yeah. milkshake, you read the newspaper, and you steal drinking straws. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, he's a child of the Depression, so he <laughs> saves everything. He dries out paper towels, he washes out plastic bags, he saves straws. Yeah. He's oh got, you know, some. everybody's got like a packet drawer. His entire cupboard is filled with ketchup packets, mustard packets, mm -hmm. mayonnaise packets. Makes sense. And, and Waste plastic. not, want not, baby. <laughs> yeah, you never know. It could come back. It could come back, and then we'll have nothing again. I'll live in a shanty town in Central Park. I'm not going back. <laughs> so Shaggy and Scooby come back. They reunite with the rest of the gang. And Fred notices that Shaggy's hat isn't just a piece of paper, but it's got some writing on it. So he takes it, unfolds it, and it's the ship's manifest. Of course. And the ship's manifest says all of the cargo on the ship, and it notes that the ship is going to leave tomorrow. Just to clarify... It is the ship's manifest for the pirate ship. No, it is the ship's manifest for the freight ship. Got it. Yeah, cool. I should have made that clear. I also don't really know what a manifest means. When you say manifest, <laughs> I only think of manifest destiny, and then I just think of not doing well in history class in eighth grade. That's uh, an inventory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's basically an inventory. It's a list of everything that's on the ship. Great. <laughs> 
They also have to expand. It's their duty and their their God given <laughs> calling to expand to the western side of the ship and take it over <laughs> and uh, appropriate everything. Hal has earned the first bonus point by making fun of me talking about Manifest Destiny. <laughs> the score is one to zero. <laughs> <laughs> so they followed these tire tracks in the cave to a cargo room, but the door closes behind them and Redbeard is inside of there. So they try to scurry away. And the pirates chase after them. But, of course, in classic Scooby-Doo and the gang style, they set some traps, they capture them, and they can do the big reveal of who is behind these Redbeard-related shenanigans. So I turn it to you two. Who is the truth behind this Redbeard pirate scheme? I mean, I gotta go with the man, the myth, the legend. Magnus himself. Okay. How? What about you? I was gonna say I think it's Magnus also, but there's a there's I think he's got a partner. Okay. And I think it's the other guy, the guy who was robbed at the beginning of the. There's like one guy that we heard of very like for a second, and then he disappeared with the spyglass. The yeah. spyglass. The coast guard worker. Yeah, I think the coast guard worker's in on it. Okay. And that's how they're gonna get it out of there. I think this is a wide-ranging conspiracy. So I will say, both of you are correct. It is C.L. Magnus. Now, I will also say, for some extra points, do either of you know what the motive was? I will say, there is no way of knowing this in the episode, so this will just be a bonus point. But do you have a guess about why Mr. Magnus did it? Yeah, his family had cut him off, so he was going to rob Mm, them and, uh, and and make off with... The entire manifest of that ship, which was probably a bunch of gold. I'm going to go with something incredibly technical in the realms of insurance and taxation that is absolutely no business being in a kid's show. Mm -hmm. But one of those kinds of like, if X amount of merchandise goes missing, I'm able to get a like 17% deductible on my whatever, whatever fees. Sure, sure. Sort of a thing. Just kind of like, just financial mumbo jumbo. Okay, yeah. I will say insurance fraud does come up a lot in Scooby-Doo, which is great. So Gabrielle, you were close, but no cigar. What it was is that the freight liner that Magnus owned wasn't doing very well. So what they were doing was staging the cargo being stolen, and then they would get the insurance for the stolen cargo, but they were still selling that stolen cargo of course, with of fake course. information. Oh, of course. Sure. Yeah, you got a double dip. But you both were able to identify that CL Magnus with his ominous name was behind it and that the butler was actually a red herring. My incorrect guess was the butler. And of course, my only guess was because he was the first person that we saw. And that is always who I guess for Scooby-Doo stuff. I figured he was trying to rob Magnus. I also thought the eyes looking similar was a bit tricky. That gave me pause. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. he just kind of looked like him. And then Shaggy does close out this episode with a great line. He goes, oh man, I thought like the butler always did it. Which is <laughs> <laughs> great. So that is the end of our first mystery. We now go to our second, which is absolutely ridiculous. This is the diabolical disc demon. Yeah, I'm so in already. Ooh. Like, say no more. I'm sold. Please tell me kisses in this one. Oh, you're up. <laughs> Oh, baby, you are going to be very excited. (laughs) Oh, yes. So I will say that this mystery comes from season three of Scooby-Doo, Where Are You?, which is just they really ramp it up from the first two seasons in that every episode starts with this incredibly ominous scene of someone being in truly 
scary and terrifying peril. And then it just cuts to the gang driving in the van (laughs) without addressing what happened to the person. So there is a guy dressed up in Gene Simmons makeup. And I'm not exaggerating. It's white face paint with the black little bat thing. I know that Kiss shows up in at least a Scooby-Doo animated movie. So I was wondering if this was going to be a Kiss Scooby-Doo crossover episode. It is not. But this guy does look kind of like Kiss. And just Mm. because Hal happened to guess it out of his butt, I'm giving a bonus point here. (laughs) Well earned. Well earned. (laughs) No, absolutely. So what we see this demonic Kiss member doing, I would also say that his little jumpsuit, it looks much like an Ace Freely one, except it is bright blue and it's fantastic. He is chasing after what looks like just an innocent person working in a music studio. And he very menacingly says, quote, you know too much Tony Signs, and you will not get away from me. And then Tony Signs runs away from the recording studio into an office. He grabs some sheet music, scribbles something onto the sheet music, and you can tell that he's writing actual music notes. And then this kiss-looking bad guy kicks the door in, and then the guy just screams, and then cut to the gang, driving in a van, listening to music. Everything's fine. <laughs> like you do. <laughs> you know, the world keeps moving along, even during terrible happenstances at music studios. It just the march of time. The cold open was actually to establish where the song that they're listening to came from. That was actually the important thing there. <laughs> so the gang is in the mystery machine and they are listening to the song. They talk about, oh, Jimmy Lewis, he's so great. And you learn that they are driving to a recording session of their friend, the musician, Jimmy Lewis, who has invited them to a Friday night recording of his new album. Everyone has their one friend that is a successful recording artist, <laughs> you know. Just so it is. Especially when you're in high school or college or both or neither. Unclear. <laughs> There's nothing that a that an artist in the middle of working on an album wants more than to invite a bunch of people to just hang out while they need to get work done. <laughs> I know that personally when we record a podcast in the studio, mm-hmm. I can't get started until there is at least four random people there. You might not hear it, but I'm actually recording this to a sold out crowd of 15 people in my bedroom. They're just being very <laughs> respectful. <laughs> the way God intended. Yeah. So what does terrify me is that while they are driving and listening to this music, Scooby is just in the back of the mystery machine. There's no seatbelt or safety thing. He's just full on dancing while they're driving. And the gang just laughs about how silly Scooby's dance moves are. It's the 70s. Car standards were very different. Seatbelts weren't even invented. We played in alleys full of broken glass for fun. We didn't know any better. (laughs) We're just a bunch of city kids. (laughs) So they arrive at the record studio, which is called Decade Records, and they are greeted by a security guard named Joe. He gives them a bit of a hard time because he was not told that they were coming to visit. But then Jimmy, the musician friend, comes and says, oh, Joe, don't worry, they're with me, and brings them inside. All right. Mm -hmm. So he says that they are recording a strange song written by Tony Sines, their songwriter. So this is clearly the song that he had written in a panic when running away from this kiss-like demon. Sure, sure. So he brings the gang into the recording studio and introduces them to the crew. There are three people that you meet. The first is Ian Barkin. He is the pianist and song arranger. All right. Next, there is Ace Decade, 
who is the Mr. Decade's nephew. So he's the <laughs> nephew of the guy who owns the record company. And third, you have Brick Tyler, who is the recording engineer. All fantastic names yeah. across really, the board. Really, really solid, stellar names. So they start to record a song, and very shortly after they start, the soundboard starts to short circuit, Ooh. and all of the equipment starts going wonky, so they all run out of the booth. Ace Decade says that all sorts of strange things have been happening, and it's because of the Phantom. That mm -hmm. just explains everything. After he says this, Joe, the security guard, comes rushing in, saying that he heard all of the explosions, and Ace says, don't worry, everything is okay. So Fred asks Jimmy about this phantom, and Jimmy explains that, oh, don't worry about it, it's just rumors of a ghost that wanders the corridors, seeking vengeance against those who ruined his music career. Yeah, come on, Fred, you've been to a recording studio before, you know how it <laughs> yeah, is. they all have those. That's every time I record Potterless, somebody comes in and they're like, what? I also didn't read Harry Potter, no! <laughs> <laughs> So Brick, the sound engineer, says that he's leaving to get some new equipment to try to replace the stuff that's broken. Ian, the pianist, just says, I'll take five and leaves. <laughs> so classic Shaggy, Ian. <laughs> classic Ian. So Shaggy and Scooby start just playing music on the piano. And right after they start to do so, the Phantom enters and chases them away. <laughs> While that happens, the rest of the gang was in the shipping room with Jimmy. He's just giving them a tour of the rest of the studio. And they go into this shipping room, which has stacks of the records. And it's one of my favorite, favorite parts of this episode is Jimmy goes, these 10 stacks of records are all going to be shipped out tomorrow. It's his new album. And Velma goes, 10? I only count six. And he goes, there are only six. And these are floor to ceiling stacks of records. So somehow he looked at six giant piles of <laughs> records and goes, that's 10. <laughs> it's not even like he says 10 and they're supposed to be eight, which is still right. pretty yeah. far-fetched, but more possible than almost half being gone. And they are lined up horizontally next to each other one by one. <laughs> Look, he didn't get into music because he's good at math. Let's be honest. <laughs> True. So Jimmy just goes, oh, the Phantom's at it again. So Shaggy and Scooby then run in and they relay that the Phantom was chasing them. So the team all reconvenes in the studio. Everybody's there. And they find out that the Phantom has stolen the sheet music that they were all using. Hmm. Brick goes, oh, well, the session is over then. And Jimmy goes, no, it's okay. I have a second copy in my dressing room. So Shaggy and Scooby volunteer to go get it. His dressing room <laughs> uh -huh. in the studio? I don't know. Maybe he's a regular. I don't know. So Brick goes, okay, I'll keep working on finding the equipment. So he leaves. Shaggy and Scooby, while they're trying to get the music, of course, get chased again by the Phantom. Gotta get those chase sequences in. Seriously. So while they're running away, they get back into the studio and Ace Decade and Jimmy are there with the gang. While everyone's back in the studio, they hear over the speakers the Phantom telling them to get out while they still can. Ace reveals that those are the intercom speakers, so he knows that it's someone saying it from an office. Hmm. So the gang splits up to go check all of the offices. And it turns out that the office it was coming from was the intercom in Ace's office. Now, he says this doesn't make any sense because he is the only person that has the key, and he always locks it, and he always keeps the key on him, so he's not sure how anyone could have gotten in. All right, all right. Then, of course, we get a five minute, and I'm not exaggerating, five minutes of this <laughs> 20 minute episode is Shaggy and Scooby deciding that they're going to sneak to the cafeteria because apparently this recording studio has a full fledged cafeteria and they're just going to raid it and <laughs> eat all of the food while the other people were investigating the intercom situation. And that's what they do for five minutes. 
This is the quality content that we're all tuning in for. Yeah. It's all about the milkshakes mm -hmm. and the um, pirate casserole and the uh, studio kitchen. Well, I will say I'm going to give you a bonus point, Gabrielle, because most of the hijinks are them trying to figure out how to work the milkshake machine sure. that is inside of the cafeteria. Yes, there's a milkshake machine. That's the single loudest <laughs> way to make something. That's what you want in a recording studio. <laughs> And right here, we have a machine that jangles keys around. Yeah. <laughs> we got to cover up the sound. Quick, get some maracas. So while they're looking for more food, they open a closet and they hear someone yell. They assume that this is the Phantom, so they slam the door behind them, lock it, and run away. They go and meet up with the rest of the gang. And while they are on their way to talk with the gang, they run into Joey, the security guard, again. Uh -huh. Joey, the security guard, doesn't have any patience for them and just kicks them out of the building, closes the door, and <laughs> locks it behind them. So they're just out in the alleyway behind the building. Mm -hmm. We then cut to Brick, the sound engineer, telling Jimmy that they don't have enough equipment to start the session up again, so they'll just have to do it tomorrow. So everybody except for Jimmy and the gang leaves. Shaggy and Scooby are still trying to get back into the studio, and when they do, in the alleyway, they notice a stack of records inside of a trash can. Perhaps the missing records? Those are the ones. So the rest of the gang starts to play the song that Shaggy and Scooby were able to bring them from Jimmy's dressing room. And they're trying to think about it a little more because the song sounds really strange. And Jimmy points out that this doesn't sound like the other music that Tony writes. So Shaggy and Scooby then enter. Of course, the Phantom enters. There's a big old chase scene, and Scooby ties up the Phantom using the big record reels from the recording studio. All the recording tape ties them all up. At this point, they do the thing where they rip off the mask, they reveal who it is, etc. So I turn it over to you two. Who is the Phantom, and why are they causing so much terror in the music studio? Um, and just to be clear, Jimmy was with them when they were listening to the song? Yes, Jimmy was there the whole time. He was recording the song when they tried to play it. He was there it. at every point in the episode. Okay. Uh, Hal, do you want to go first? I think it's two of those motherfuckers again. Ooh, okay. I think they always work in pairs. Well, the last episode, it was just... Well, no, I guess he hired those two pirate henchmen. Yeah, he had pirate henchmen. I feel like there are two... Well, maybe the other one... Are they all in the room where they unmask him? Is like everybody there? No, it's just the gang and Jimmy. Just the gang and Jimmy. And then whoever they unmask. Mm -hmm. But then later, they could do the thing where they cut to the police and they're like, this guy was also there. And they take that guy away. I'm going to say it was the security guard, but also the sound engineer. Okay. My guess is Ace Decades. Ace Decade. That's okay. Good guess. Now, do either of you have guesses for the motives behind the people you think are guilty? So my theory is that Ace is trying to, the studio hasn't been doing so hot lately. <laughs> so he's trying to revitalize it by appealing to like the death metal industry <laughs> by becoming that studio where all the spooky <laughs> shit happens. Sure. You know, just like some very, very like grassroots rebranding. That's very fun. I like it a whole lot. What about you, Hal? I think those two assholes are stealing records to sell and make money for themselves because Jimmy Neutron or whatever that guy's name is, is there recording them. It's just a simple like smash and grab, but that way they're not like the ghost must have taken them and not 
these two dudes who are now selling them and making quite a profit becoming the exclusive supplier of Tower Records. Okay, I like it. So this is very fun because Gabrielle was correct of who was guilty Mm. and Hal was correct for the motive. Ah. (laughs) So it was Ace Decade himself and all he was doing was much like the Redbeard situation, he was stealing the records so that he could just sell them on his own and make his own money and then claim insurance for the stolen records. Mm -hmm. But I did give Gabrielle a bonus point because I think (laughs) trying to establish your record label as extra scary to appeal to the teens is great. So the score currently sits at eight to eight. Now, there is one way that they knew who it was because of the song. Do either of you know what about the song gave away who was guilty? Yeah, uh, probably had A, C, and E in it, so it spelled ace with the notes. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. Either that or if it was played backwards. (laughs) And it said Paul was dead. (laughs) So, Hal, I'll give you a bonus point because, yes, that is how they put it together. The first three bars, the notes were just A, C, E, D, E, C, A, D, E. And because everybody else's name was Brick or Jimmy Ah. or Joe or Ian, you knew that the only name that could be spelled with musical note letters was Ace Decade. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. So now the score sits at nine to eight in favor of Hal as we go into the final mystery, the Warlock of Wimbledon. (laughs) Oh my God, let's go. I am so here for this. (laughs) Now you might be listening and thinking, oh, they're probably not talking about Wimbledon, the tennis tournament. It's probably just the area of England, Wimbledon. No, we're talking about the tennis tournament. The gang knows a guy who's competing in Wimbledon. Of course they do. (laughs) Come on, Mike. You were somewhere between 15 and 23. You know what that's like. You just have these friends. (laughs) So the opening scene is this tennis player, Jimmy, who has a very bad British accent, and his trainer, Nick, who has a very bad Australian accent, running in prep for his next match at Wimbledon. And where are they running? In Stonehenge. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. It's a good open track. It's a circular track. Sure. (laughs) So while they are running in Stonehenge, they find a mask on a stick. And then it's revealed that it is a staff. And the eyes in the mask of the staff start lighting up and spewing out gas. So Jimmy does what anyone would do and just throws it away out of fear. Sure. When he does this, though, a lot of fog emanates out of it. And in enters the warlock Anthos and his <laughs> demon dog. Wow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How rare is it for the monster to have like a proper name as opposed to just being like the ghost or the phantom? It's usually a 50-50 split. Mm. Yeah, I guess Redbeard had a name in the first mm-hmm. episode. But then there are a lot of episodes where it's just the vague general. Oh, it's the creeper. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, give and take. So the warlock Anthos reveals that he is here to curse the Pelton family. Jimmy reveals that he is a Pelton by going, I'm a Pelton. (laughs) (laughs) So Anthos then throws the staff back at Jimmy, who for some reason catches it. I guess he's an athlete, so he's just got perfect reflex and hand-eye coordination. That muscle memory. (laughs) Anthos says, as long as you have my staff, you will be cursed. So Nick says, throw it away, Jimmy. So he does. And then they run away. And where do they run? Good trainer. (laughs) Very sound trainer. So where do they run? Into the middle of the street. And what is the gang doing? Just driving down a foggy road because it's the gang. And they're driving outside of Stonehenge, apparently. (laughs) Okay. I like to imagine that, like, 
you know, there's like that trope in a lot of fantasy things of kind of like people go into the mist and the mist like takes them away somewhere. I like to imagine that like the mystery machine has one of those of kind of like they go into a mist in California. Two hours later, they emerge out of the mist mm. around Stonehenge. Yeah, sure. Like they never actually got in a boat right, or anything. Right. The mist just takes them where they need to go. Yeah, yeah. Wherever the plot is <laughs> most spooky. Oh, God. So the gang slams on the brakes and starts talking to these two dudes. And Jimmy tells them what's up and then leads them to his creepy mansion where he lives because the only buildings that can exist in the Scooby-Doo universe are creepy mansions. He says that this old mansion was his family's until bad luck forced them to sell it, but he just bought it back recently with all of his tennis winnings. All right, all right. Okay. So they are let into the mansion by John the gatekeeper. He opens the gates, and as they drive by, gives a very menacing look to the camera. Inside, Jimmy is trying to make sense of what happened, and his housekeeper, Mrs. Warren, enters with a tray of food. This makes Shaggy and Scooby very excited. Of course, of course. Are they then, like, crushed when they realize that it's British food yeah. and it's really bad? <laughs> no, actually, they're pretty excited about it. I don't know that they've ever turned down any food. Yeah, I don't think point. that Good there point. is anything that they go, oh, man, <laughs> I hate oranges. <laughs> also, to all of Mike's British listeners, I kid, I kid. <laughs> oh, yes. Let me preface any jokes I make here. I've... <laughs> I are all in good fun. I'm very pro-British food, just for the record. I really like it mm -hmm. a lot. It's great. <laughs> I have a tattered history of saying that British food is garbage unless you're eating Indian food, which isn't even British food. I stand by it. If your national dish is fish and chips, which is a kid's menu item, how am I supposed to trust you? <laughs> yeah, sounds 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 a little fishy to me, personally. Yeah. Uh, oh, yes, a pun. Gabrielle gets a point. <laughs> <laughs> it's nine to nine. Oh, no. <laughs> this is the most bonus point heavy episode of Meddling Adults, and I'm here for it. <laughs> so Jimmy's housekeeper, Mrs. Warren, tries to get Jimmy to read the tea leaves of the tea that he was drinking to see if they will give any insight to what's going on. And she leans over and goes, oh, no, I see danger in your future. Is this housekeeper called Trelawney? She is not, but she could be. She does have a vaguely kind of British accent. So, of course, what else happens but the warlock Anthos is back. And, of course, everybody runs away. While they're running away, they hear a scream from what sounds like the gatekeeper, and it sounds like it's coming from the gatekeeper's shed. So they all go to investigate. When they go to the shed, they see a bunch of hound footprints, so they're assuming this is the demon dog, and the shed has been absolutely torn to shreds. And the gatekeeper is missing. They try to follow the paw prints, and they lead outside, but then the paw prints suddenly stop. Once they get to the paw prints stopping, a new character enters, Mr. Burgess, the solicitor. <laughs> He's wearing a bowler hat. He has one of those curly, fancy mustaches. Mm -hmm. He's a very prim and proper boy. Sure. Just to be clear, so far there are 912 different characters in this episode. <laughs> so here is everyone who we've got right now. We'll do a recap. We yeah. have Jimmy the tennis player. Yeah, sure. We yeah. have Nick the trainer. Yeah. Australian. Yes, Australian Nick the trainer. We have Mrs. Warren, mm -hmm. the housekeeper, John the gatekeeper, yeah. and Mr. Burgess, the solicitor. I will mm -hmm. say there are no new characters that we meet in the rest of this episode. Okay. Cool, cool. So okay. we've got five potential suspects, but I will say you can probably rule out Jimmy don't think he's doing this to himself. Hmm. Yeah. He should be trying to trick us. Cool. So the so the shot in the dark that I'm going to take in roughly five minutes is a 25% <laughs> chance. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's a multiple choice test at this point. 
So Nick and Jimmy take Mr. Burgess inside and explain to him this whole Anthos situation. Burgess says that he feared this would happen because the Anthos family used to practice witchcraft back in the day until the Pelton family kicked them out of town. Oh. The Anthos family then cursed the Pelton family, and that is what led to the bad luck that Jimmy referred to earlier in that they had to sell their big, fancy, scary mansion. Okay. Man, a lot of, like, ancestral family curses in this sequence of episodes. Yeah, and a lot of friends being named Jimmy. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so Mr. Burgess, the solicitor, reveals that if Jimmy doesn't win his match tomorrow, which is the finals in Wimbledon, he won't have enough money to pay the mortgage on the house, and he will lose the house. Now, I don't know a whole lot about mortgages. I feel like you would get more than half a day's notice that, oh, by the way, you have to win Wimbledon tomorrow, otherwise you lose your family's mansion. <laughs> I personally, as far as I know, British solicitors are drama-loving, just mm. like, you know, drama monsters. Sure. So maybe he intentionally delayed the process until ah. it was peak drama moment. That could be it. That Possible. Could be it. Possible. So Fred tells Shaggy and Scooby to get rid of the staff. So Shaggy and Scooby go <laughs> out and take the staff and throw it into the lake. But what happens? The warlock comes out from the lake, yep. grabbing the staff and chasing after them with his demon dog. Sure. Fred really put his best people on the job there. I lose more and more trust in Fred every time <laughs> because he always sends Shaggy and Scooby to do stuff, which I get works for the show because it's funny to see them get caught in hijinks. But often it's things that don't make sense. In a previous episode that we covered on Meddling Adults, they sent Scooby to sneak up on someone. He's Scooby-Doo. He's very loud. <laughs> well, I'll sneak up on him. <laughs> okay, bonus point for that Scooby-Doo impression. Well deserved, absolutely. <laughs> so Shaggy and Scooby run away, and the dog attacks Nick, the trainer, and drags him away. Jimmy tries oh, to chase after him, but he trips and falls, and his glasses go flying. And when he comes to, he finds his glasses, but they're next to the cursed staff. So Jimmy then breaks the staff in half out of anger and throws it away, but it still glows when he throws it away. So the gang decide that they are going to go back to Stonehenge to see if they can find any clues. And they find some red mud there, which is the same color as the paw prints they saw in the gatekeeper's shed before. Okay, okay. So they decide that they are going to go back to the manor because they heard some howling. I guess this mansion is close enough to Stonehenge that you can hear a demon dog howling from it? Sure. <laughs> so they see the staff in front of the mansion when they go there, and it has a piece of paper attached to it with the words written on it, if you play tomorrow, it will mean your doom. Oh. So Mr. Burgess comes back, and he says that the curse is too strong, so Jimmy shouldn't play in his match tomorrow. Shaggy and Scooby then are walking around the grounds of the mansion. They fall into a secret compartment, and they find a hidden room dug under this secret trap door in the middle of the grounds of the mansion? Velma sees this happen, so she goes in and joins them. They find two things in there they first find a receipt that says one pair spec lens on it. And they also find a pair of boots with a paw print design painted on what? the bottom of the boots. And it's the same color as the mud. 
with the pop print plugin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Anthos then enters, of course. So the three of them run away. Now we cut to the next day at the Wimbledon finals. Mm-hmm. Now I played varsity tennis in high school, so I know a little bit about tennis and about Wimbledon. Wimbledon traditionally is played on grass, and their big stuffy rule is that everyone has to wear white. Right. So what does this Wimbledon depict? They're playing on clay courts. The lines are not correct for the way that lines are drawn on a tennis court. It looks like they're playing four square. Like, <laughs> the lines are completely wrong. And they're wearing the most brightly vibrant color tennis outfits possible. It's absolute anarchy at Wimbledon. <laughs> well, the it 70s was, were a wild yeah, time. <laughs> it was the 70s. That's how they all dressed. It was KTEL sponsored that year. So a lot of colors involved. So while Jimmy's playing in the finals, he looks into the crowd and the warlock Anthros is just there in the middle of the crowd. So this makes Jimmy too spooked to play. And it's so much so to where his opponent just hits a ball at it and Jimmy just doesn't do anything. And the ball goes by him and he loses the point. And the crowd unanimously starts booing Jimmy. Right, yeah. (laughs) Poor Jimmy. This happens a second time, and the gang knows that something is up. And of course, the gang is just sitting on the bench at the side of the court in the Wimbledon finals. Now, it's not really established that the gang knows Jimmy, but I guess after knowing him for one creepy night, they're close enough to be on the court at his player's bench, which they don't even let your trainer do in professional tennis matches. Mike, you remember what it was like to be years old. (laughs) People just bent the rules for you all the time. Right? (sighs) So then at one point in the match, Jimmy falls over and his glasses go flying because he doesn't have rec specs or anything to keep glasses on his face (laughs) when he's playing tennis. They scurry over to Velma. She picks them up. And Velma is an expert in losing her glasses. She notices something is strange with the glasses. So rather than give that pair back to Jimmy, she gives her pair to Jimmy because Velma and Jimmy have the same prescription. Sure. Very common. So then he starts having an amazing comeback. And we cut to Shaggy and Scooby, who, of course, are at the concession stand eating a bunch of hot dogs. So they get chased by the demon dog and Anthros, and they run away. They run into the locker room. They put on tennis clothes to try to disguise themselves. It doesn't work. And then they run onto the court where the Wimbledon doubles championship is happening. And the match is about to start. And there were people on the other side ready to play against Shaggy and Scooby. No one's questioning why a dog is in the, <laughs> made it in the finals and has not played any other round. Again, Wimbledon in the 70s was a very <laughs> different tournament. Also, if you have a chance to watch a dog play tennis, yeah. <laughs> do any of you want to be the person who blows the whistle on that and has it yeah. not happen? Yeah, that's true. That's a really good point. So we cut to Jimmy's match. It's match point, And you see Anthos come out of the player's tunnel, screaming that the curse remains. But Shaggy and Scooby, I guess, notice this because the two finals courts share the same tunnel. So they run over to try to scare Anthos away. They're successful. Classic Scooby-Doo hijinks (laughs) where he gets all tied up. Jimmy ends up winning match point. He wins Wimbledon and all of that. And then you get the big reveal of who was Anthos. So I turn it over to you two. Who was behind this curse of the warlock Anthos and his demon dog? 
Hey, just a quick director's note before we get into Hal and Gabrielle's guesses. I realized that I never clarified what was going on with Jimmy's glasses. Basically, the gang finds out that one of the crooks was wearing a special makeup that to the naked eye looked normal, but when you had the glasses on, it looked like the warlock Anthos's face paint situation. So that's why Jimmy saw Anthos in the crowd. Anyway, let's get into Hal and Gabrielle's guesses. I'm personally really feeling Mrs. Warren, the okay. housekeeper. Okay. I think the trainer is the wizard. And I think the gatekeeper is the dog. Okay. All right. Now, do either of you have reasons for a motive for who you think is guilty? I think that it's all about ownership of the house. Okay. Mrs. Warren doesn't want him to pay off the mortgage because if he can't buy it, then there's some obscure legal precedent that means that she gets to keep it and it used to be her family's way back or something like that but yeah like i think that it all comes down to possession of the physical creepy mansion got it got it what about you hal trainer is is a gambler who has bet a fortune on his guy mm. to lose mm. and then he will take that money and buy the house oh that's which good he somehow Ooh. feel belongs to him and he had the the gatekeeper was like his guy on the inside okay all right that's very good so i will say that how you are correct almost 100%. You are right, and I am very impressed that you got this, that there were two people involved, and those two people were Nick the Trainer and the Gatekeeper. Now, the Gatekeeper <laughs> wasn't the dog. They did have a real dog, but you would have had no way of knowing this, except for maybe you were wondering, how the hell is the Warlock Anthos literally everywhere? That's because there were two Warlock Anthoses. There you go. They both had disguises. That's how they were able to be all over the place. That's how uh. in the episode you had situations where Nick was there or the Gatekeeper was there, but never mm. both of them at the same time. So they screamed it. Yeah, I get, yeah, that's how they got it done. Now, yeah. Hal, I also gave you a bonus point because of the Misery Loves Company clause in that my guess was that it was Nick the trainer, really because he was the first person that said anything in the episode. But I also <laughs> thought it was the classic, he's making the guy lose because he bet on the other dude, et cetera, and he's trying to get him off his game. The right. real answer for what the motive was is you learn that John the Gatekeeper and Nick the Trainer are actually brothers and they are descendants of the Anthos family. So Whoa. they wanted to get the mansion back to get back at the Peltons. Ah. Well, that's kind of so what you said. Nick's fake Australian yeah. accent was actually fake. Wow. It was an intentionally bad yeah, accent. That's good. Oh my God. <laughs> that's an onion right there. That's layers. Come that's on. That's a genuine plot twist. Wow. Yeah, it was really good. I really enjoyed this episode, despite all of these Wimbledon shenanigans afoot. But you know, Wimbledon in the 70s, who's to say? Video cameras didn't exist, so we'll never know what happened back then. But that's right. of this episode where we were very <laughs> tight, neck and neck, how you pulled away in the end, final score of 17 to nine, meaning you have won this episode of meddling adults and you have won money for the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. How? How do you feel? I feel great. I feel like justice is being done. Somehow I came <laughs> in here and <laughs> solved some mysteries. I can't believe how right I was on that last one. But uh, I, I'm happy to raise money for a good cause and to show that 
I think those two truly would have gotten away with it if it hadn't been for those meddling kids. Oh, yes. That's literally what they said verbatim at the end of this episode. They gave the classic mm-hmm. line that they would have gotten away with it, too. I, I was very excited for the second mystery when you guessed that it was two people. I was like, oh, is he going to guess that it's two people for the third one? Because it is two people. <laughs> it's two people a lot. I Yeah. So far, I haven't had a lot of it being two people. I don't know if that's a later iteration of Scooby-Doo thing, but uh, it happened this time. I'll have to see as I continue to make this podcast. Gabrielle, you fought very valiantly. Thank you, you did well. You, you you got many bonus points, but you didn't need to rely on them like you originally thought. So I'm very proud of your performance as well. Do not hang your head in shame. You did great. I am very proud and very surprised at <laughs> the somewhat respectable performance. And seriously, hats off to Hal, a mm-hmm. worthy opponent and truly a great win at the end there. Oh, likewise. Likewise. I was. I thought it could have gone either way. It really could have. Easily. It was a tight one. So Hal, if people want to find you doing stuff on the internet, podcast world, whatever, where can they do so? I'm at Hal Lublin uh, everywhere you go on social media. And I have a show, a live show, Friday the 19th at uh, 5 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, It is a two-hour show. It is a uh, fundraiser benefiting the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. We're doing a two-hour We Got This Live clean slate. Oh, cool. Uh, We've got a lot of cool guests. We've got uh, my co-host from Good Morning Night Vale, my co-host from Tights and Fights, Travis McElroy, uh, Janet Varney. Laser Melina Weber, a lot of really cool folks, and more. Who knows who who else will be announced for it? But uh, you can get tickets for those at houseseats.live. You can uh, find it right there. Just click on the We Got This, and you'll be able to watch along live with us. And all the proceeds, again, go to the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. That is fantastic. Gabrielle, if people want to find you, where can they go? Best place to do that is um, gabrielurbina.com. That's G A. B-R-I-E-L-U-R-B-I-N-A dot com. And that links out to all the shows that I've done, including Time Bombs and Zero Hours, where I got a chance to collaborate with the amazing Mike Schubert. And he gave amazing performances. Ah, the pleasure was all mine. I love that you called me in and were like, you're not a voice actor, but I believe in you. And I did it. (laughs) And my faith was rewarded tenfold. Uh, It's always a pleasure to work with you, man. Well, Hal and Gabrielle, thank you so much for joining. This was an absolute pleasure. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. And I got to say, you both were really solid. So these people did not get away with it because we had two very competent, despite their initial fears of their abilities, thinking that they wouldn't be able to do so, but they proved themselves wrong. Very competent meddling adults. Hooray. Hey, thanks for listening to Meddling Adults. Meddling Adults is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schubert. It's co-produced by Multitude. Today's episode was edited by Percy of Berlin. The music is by Bettina Campomanes. The art is by Mayan Atias. And the web design is by me and Kelly Schubert. You can find us on social media at Meddling Adults on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can now also find us on Reddit. Shout out to Reddit user crazy underscore fan underscore girl who made reddit.com slash r slash meddling adults. So you can interact with us there. If you want to learn more about the show, you can go to meddlingadults.com. And if you want to help the prize pool grow for all the charities, you can support the show over at patreon.com slash meddling adults. All the funds after expenses will go directly to the charities of this first season. If you want to tell someone about the show, whether you reach out to someone directly or leave a rating interview online. That really does help. Thank you so much for listening and hope to see you next week.